Very good. Okay, we are, as uh, Steve said at the beginning, at the end of a new uh, a series on new. We've been looking at the word new in the New Testament and all the uses, and we picked out six of them. We thought, you know, it'd be great to talk about together um, some spiritual resolutions that we could make for the new year. Some spiritual rev- resolutions we could make for the new year. Um, we know that uh, a lot of us have that sense of uh, coming into this new year, we want to we t- take on something new to see some change in our lives, some transformation in our lives. Um, what does the Bible talk about that's new in our lives? And that's what we looked at uh, over this last series. So I want to just review some of them. We talked at the very beginning about making grace um, very much core to who we are uh, in this coming year. We talked about rooting our identity as chosen, redeemed, adopted, beloved children of God and how that's going to shape our new year as we get rooted in that. We talked about uh, really uh, refocusing on the Word and looking at Scripture and how building Scripture into the fabric of this new year will really change this year and make it uh, uh, more Christ-like. And we talked about growth and sanctification, how uh, over this coming year, our hope and our desires to continue to grow in Christ-likeness. We want to see, we want to, we want to catch the wind of the Spirit moving in our lives to blow us onward um, to greater and greater Christ-likeness. We talked about community and the importance of that and, the, and purity and community. Uh, and then this week, we're going to talk about love, which is, which is really the new commandment that, uh, that Christ gives. It's a new and an old commandment. So as we dive into this, let me just quickly pray. God, uh, meet us today in your word and scripture. We love you. We thank you that we have these words, this letter to us um, to teach us and to grow us and to help us to know you more and more. Would you please uh, be at work in our lives, even at this time, Holy Spirit, move in our midst. We, we know that you can be present in us because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and the cleansing that that brings, which opens the way for the Holy Spirit to move in our midst. And my prayer is that as we look at these words in Scripture this morning, you would move in our midst to bring transformation and growth, that you might call us onto. Uh, perhaps a new stage in our lives of love, that you might show us something we haven't seen before about love, that, that at the end of the day we might be drawn deeper into relationship with Jesus Christ and to loving relationship with the people around us because of your presence with us and your movement by your Spirit and through your Word this morning. So please uh, invade us, Lord, by your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. We're going to be looking in 1 John this morning, so if you'd open your Bible to there. If you need a Bible, we've got some, just raise your hand and we'll pass them to you. Um, you can keep this Bible. We'd love for you to take it home with you if you don't have a Bible, so please uh, go ahead and keep that uh, with you. 1 John, we're going to be looking in chapter 2, starting in verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. All right, in uh, chapter 2, verse 7, John starts off in... He addresses the people to whom he's writing with this this little word, beloved. Now, you need to think a little bit about who John was. John was one of the closest disciples uh, with Jesus. He was one of the three that that were closest to Jesus Christ. He was there at the Lord's Supper, and it says he was leaning up against Christ, so he was the one sitting right next to Jesus at the Lord's Supper. Um, He was at the cross, one of the few that was there at the cross, and Jesus looked down at him and and, and asked him basically to take care of his mother. So John became the surrogate son to Mary and to take care of her. So this guy is close to Jesus Christ. He's right in the the center there. Um, He was one of the ones who got to go to the empty tomb and see its emptiness, and report back to the other disciples. 
And so now it's probably around the year 90, somewhere around there. So John was really young when all this was happening. And he's writing, and he's, he's writing to them as kind of the elder statesman of the church, not just the church, a lot of different churches. He's, he's sort of the guy who has the beard now, and he has, he has both this sort of sweet elderly love for the people, and he's got this great perspective on what's most important. And it's kind of out of that, it's out of that perspective that he writes what he writes here. And this is something that we need, right? And I think sometimes in this church, we especially need, we need that older, loving perspective because a lot of us are young and we don't, we don't really see what's most important all the time. And we're getting that with John. He's pulling out what's, what's absolutely most important as one considers following Jesus Christ. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now, the old commandment, the commandment that he's talking about, we've mentioned it several times, is the command to love. And if you go down to verse 9, that's where he sort of uh, explains what this command is. He says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So it's the commandment to love your neighbor, to love your brother and love your sister. Uh, It's a commandment that comes back from the Old Testament. So it's an old command. But it's one that was reemphasized in the ministry of Jesus Christ and centralized to some extent. And so it's a command that's not only old, but verse 8, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Now, the newness of this commandment is, is, is the, the Jesus Christ aspect of it. It's new in Jesus Christ. It's in Him, this new commandment. Uh, Jesus centralized the commandment to love others, and He intensified it. Uh, let's just look briefly at the, the two different versions of this. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus 19, 17 through 18, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to put it up. Um, it says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. I am the Lord, it says. Now, in John 13, 34 through 35, uh, John records Jesus giving of the same command. And and I want you to look at the way it's, it's centralized and sort of intensified. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now, here's the intensifying part of it. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So so God wanted His people to love one another from the very beginning. But as it is, as so often is the case, we're kind of hard-headed and we don't understand what he says. So when we read the Old Testament, we didn't fully grasp what it means to love one another. So God said, let me show you what it means to love one another. And he entered into the world in Jesus Christ, and he lived a life that demonstrated to us what love really is. Now, we're going to look at some of those uh, examples in just a minute. We'll come back to it. But you need to first understand that the intensification of it comes in the person of Jesus Christ, the new commandment in Him. Then it goes on to say, um, 
At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. When we stop and talk about loving, you, know, you sort of say, yeah, we're going to love people better. We're going to love more. We're going to do this. And, and, and it's really easy to slip over into sensing that this is sort of on us and it's our thing that we're doing. And John keeps us from going in that direction. He says, look, don't think too highly of yourself in this whole process of loving others. It's, God is already shining the light of love through Jesus Christ. It's already happening. What you have is the opportunity to jump in with your little flashlight and shine and increase the light a little bit more and to be a part of what God is already doing, just so we keep it into perspective that apart from him and apart from the coming of the kingdom and the work of Christ in the world, then we have no hope or possibility of shining any light that would be really of any significance of all. But when we attach ourselves to Christ and when the light shines in and through his work in our lives, suddenly now together with his light, it becomes something meaningful and important in the world. It's interesting. You think about so many of the things that we do. Um, you go to a concert. You don't get to jump in, participate usually. You, you, you sit in the audience and you, you, you clap and you cheer, but you don't get to jump in and participate. You go to you know, a football game or some athletic meet and you don't get to jump in. You sit there and watch. But when you come to Jesus, Jesus invites you not to just sit on the sideline and watch, but to get in the game and to, 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 to work alongside with him in shining the light into the world that he's already shining. What an amazing thing. I mean, you know, it's like you're not good enough to play on the field uh, in the football game, or you're not good enough to get on the stage and play in the concert. And certainly you would think that we're not good enough to get in the game with the maker of the universe and to play right alongside with him. And yet Jesus calls us to shine our light as he enables us to participate, to be caught up in what he's doing. It's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable that he does that, but he does. Anyway, so, so let's talk about this. What is this new command? What is different about what Jesus is doing? What's, what's the intensification of it? How does Jesus make the command new? And the answer is in this, as the, there's this little, as I have love. Love as I have love. That's what Jesus says when he gives the command. That's what's new about it. He shows us in the flesh what it means to love others. He demonstrates what it is to love others. And how does he do that? Well, there's a number of ways. Um, we could spend all day talking about what Jesus did. And, and even John said, you know, if he were to write down all the, everything that Jesus did, there would not be room enough in the world uh, to contain the books that would t- tell the story. So we can only just sort of get a smattering of this. But we think of Jesus at the, with, and the woman at the well. He goes to this well on the edge of Israel, and there's a woman there who's a Samaritan. And so she's racially uh, sort of different and, and lower than Jesus, in a sense. Uh, and, and, and Jesus looks at her, and, and not only is she, is she sort of um, a different social status, but she's also a sinner. She's had five husbands, and now she's living with another guy that's not her husband. And now for a religious leader, that means, you know, stay away. That means stay away. Turn away from that person. Don't hang on. Jesus looks past all of that her social standing, and her sinfulness. And he reaches across all that, and he, invite, he risks uh, how everybody will see him, and he reaches across all that, and, he, and he, brings her, he brings her in, and he invites her into his life and to receive from him 
She's giving him water, physical water. She, he invites her to receive from him living water that will transform his life. Now, I think some of us can relate to the woman at the well. Um, we've been that person who feels like, you know, I've just sinned one too many times. And there's no way that anybody could reach across to me. I am so frustrated and fed up and sick of my sin, it makes me want to vomit. And that, that frustration, when we come face to faith with, with who we really are, and that sense that we're unreachable, and, and Jesus, in his love, reaches across that gap, no matter how seemingly wide it is, to bring us in and to rain down his love upon us. Think of Jesus with the leper. In that day, the normal thing would have been you stay away from a leper. A leper is physically contagious and then spiritually contagious too. If you are near a leper, you're unclean and you got to do, go through all these rituals and stuff. So people just stayed away. They put him in a place where nobody could be near him. And, 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 and Jesus comes in and, and what does he do? Not only is he in the presence and talking to the lepers, but he reaches out and physically touches the leper. Something that nobody would do. And he brings healing to the leper. I think of Jesus... And the story about the man on the side of the road, the, we call it the Good Samaritan. Because Good Samaritan is one responded. But the story is about this man who's been robbed and left for dead, and he's on the side of the road. And it's a story of the inconvenience of loving people. Several priests walk by, and they, they, they look and they turn the other way because they don't want to embrace the inconvenience that it will be to help this man who's been robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. Again, if they do so, it will result in their becoming unclean uh, and they'll have to go through all kinds of ritual. But not only that, the man needs a lot of help. He's broken down and left for dead. It's going to cost money. It's going to take the clothing off the person's back. The Good Samaritan ends up giving the clothing off his back to help this man. It's going to take inconvenience, um, taking him all the way to the nearest inn, putting him up there, paying for him, and then maybe coming back later to check on him to make sure all the payment is done. It's an incredible inconvenience to love across that gap of the person's uh, brokenness and failure. And some of us feel like that, too. We've been victims of things in life. And, the, and those things have left us uh, in a kind of a brokenness where we feel like um, it's impossible and we wonder if anybody would there be to reach across that gap and to love us in our brokenness and our failure. Now, the woman at the well... You know, she's, reflect, she, she's reflecting on her sin. The, the, the leper is contagious because of his illness. And the man on the side of the road is unlovable in a sense because he is so broken down and dependent and at a loss and doesn't have anything left and incredibly needy. And in every case, Jesus exemplified a love that reaches across that gap reaches across whatever barrier there is. And in every case, it required sacrifice. In every case, it required risk. Risk of what the people would say around you, which is in that day was a big deal, what people said, and, and breaking the cultural norms. And Jesus continually broke the cultural norms to love people. He made that risk. And the sacrifice that would be required to take care of the man on the side of the road uh, the giving of resources and time and effort and the inconvenience. And Jesus models continually reaching across that gap, taking those risks, making those sacrifices. At the end of the day, he defines love 
as self-giving. And ultimately, he defines it on the cross. That's where this all culminates in the definition of love. There's Jesus on the cross, and He's giving. It's self-giving. He's giving everything who he, everything that He is. He's giving of His heart. He loves the people. He's up there. He's doing this out of love. He's giving of His soul. He's hanging there on the cross, and He's literally separated from His Father in perfect separation for that moment when He's on the cross. And none of us has ever experienced that kind of separation from God before. And Jesus did it. He gave of Himself in that way, in a way that nobody in the history of the universe has ever experienced complete and total separation from God, all the wrath of God and and the consequences of sin being poured out on him as he hangs there on the cross. He gave his soul, his very soul, uh, for our sakes that that we might be reconciled to him. So he gave his heart and he gave his soul and he gave his strength we often, this is the most obvious part. He's there on the cross and his body is racked with pain. He's got nails in his hands and he's dying of thirst and he's hanging there in anguish hour after hour after hour and he's giving of his body and he gives of his mind as well. He experiences death after having shared his wisdom and knowledge for years and having people throw it back in his face. He goes up onto that cross to atone for sin and to give of himself completely. And that in the Christian framework is the definition of love. It's self-giving. It's costly. It's risky. And sometimes it's painful. And Jesus Christ says, look, we told you in the Old Testament this is what love is, but I don't think it fully registered. So let me come into your life and let me walk your path And let me encounter the same kind of people that you encounter in all of their brokenness and sin and sickness. And let me show you what it means to love them. And let me show you what it means for me to love you. Let me go to the cross. Let me define love. Sacrifice. Risk. Self-giving. That's the definition of love. Love is self-giving. So then, we look at this command that says we're to love others with that kind of self-giving love. And I don't know, I wrestle with this, that's going to mean a lot to me if I really take this command seriously. It's going to mean some major change in my life. Because I'm going to have to become more like Christ. I'm going to have to be willing to give of myself and to sacrifice and to risk for the sake of others. And that's kind of a scary thing. And a lot of me fights against that. And my natural reaction to opportunities where I could do that is so often the wrong one. I kept thinking of our dog this week. And uh, when she was a pet, a little puppy, they said, make sure that you put your hands in her dog bowl all the time. So she gets used to sharing her food. And if you don't, otherwise they'll get really protective about their food. And we had little kids and stuff. And so that was one of the things you want to do is to kind of get them used to sharing and having hands in their dog bowl and their food. I kept thinking about this week. That's like what I need so often. I need to to learn to have other hands in the dog bowl, in a sense. Because I'm so selfish often that I I don't want to share. I don't want to release that. And if that's going to happen, if I'm going to become like Jesus Christ, something big has to take place in my heart. Something has to change so that I will be willing 
to give of myself to others when it entails risk and sacrifice and loss and even some shadow of death. Something is going to have to change in my heart. And so how do we meet the challenge that this command brings to love others? How do we meet the challenge to risk and to sacrifice and to love like Jesus loved? And again, we take our cues from Christ. He always teaches us how to do it. And so we go back to the cross. How did Jesus meet the challenge of offering himself for the sake of others? And you hear his voice cry out as he's hanging on that cross. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And therein lies the secret of our learning to give of self to others. It means that we're going to have to trust God. That's what it means. We're going to have to trust Him with who we are, with our future self, so that we can give up our present self in order to bless people God has placed in our path and opportunities that He's given to us to demonstrate Christian love. It's going to entail entrusting our being to God into your hands. I commit my spirit, Jesus says. This past week, um, some tremendously sad news in that Julia Sides passed away. Um, Julia was a member of our congregation, actually. Um, Julia died up in Chico, and we are trying to figure out the details of how she passed away. It involved a train. Um, we don't know what happened. We can kind of speculate. Um, but Julie is a part of our congregation, and, and she was a wonderful woman who um, I was looking for it today on my Facebook page. Um, if anybody saw me on Facebook, that's why I was on Facebook today, uh, this morning. Um, I was looking for a prayer that she wrote to me and posted on my page. I couldn't, I couldn't find it. Um, didn't have much time to look. But it was a sweet, Julia had this way of sort of penetrating to the nub of the issue in prayer and saying the thing that made you sort of stop in your tracks and say, oh, I think she's hearing something from the Lord. Julia had a difficult life. She struggled with addictions. Um, She was not maybe completely there in a cognitive sense. Um but she was part of this community. And in the life of Julia, we see a reflection of what we're talking about this morning and the love that we're talking about. Julia was part of the Thursday home group, Thursday night home group, uh, one of them, uh, the, the Berkeley one. And I watched, I wasn't as close to Julia, but I watched that group, especially Andrew Franklin leading that group, love Julia in the way that Christ calls us to love. Now, it was imperfect, and I know there's a sense among that home group probably that we didn't do enough. And I just want to i want to remind you all in that home group who love Julia that you would never be able to do enough, okay? Only Jesus could do enough. So we do what we, we can do, and we, we, we have to leave it. We have to leave it at that. But I watched this home group praying for Julia, I watched this home group, uh, I watched Andrew uh, on the phone over and over again with Julia to talk with her, to visit Julia when she was uh, in, in, in uh, the, the, the rehab 
um, to, to, to sit there and, and strain and struggle and ask those hard questions. How can we help this person whose life is, is so messy right now? What could we possibly do? And I watched Andrew come to the end of himself and just cry out to the Lord Jesus, would you do something because I'm at my end and I can't help this woman? And only Jesus can, only you, Jesus, can help. To stand in that gap and to pray and to struggle and to strain and to love this woman, that is what it means to follow Jesus Christ in His command to love your neighbor. And I was thinking about Julia this week, and um, I, 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 don't, I don't know I, I, what happened or how she died or the circumstances about it. What I do think I know is that she had a genuine faith in Jesus Christ and that her mind was very cluttered. And I have this confidence that right now she's experiencing the power of a love that is effective 100% to transform her and to take away her brokenness and to straighten out the things that are messed up in her mind. And I have this picture in my head of a woman who is clear-minded and able to think and beautiful and healthy and insightful like she was. And she's living that now. And that's the power of the love of Jesus Christ. And we jump into that and she experienced, it's not going to be totally unfamiliar to her because she experienced a small measure or sliver or piece of that here in this life because of Jesus Christ and because of the community of Jesus Christ that sought to love her and be Christ to her. That's the commandment. That's the new commandment. And it, but it doesn't only apply to the Julia types in the world. It applies to every neighbor that we encounter. Whether that be the person who's your coworker, who maybe isn't so obviously in need, who maybe even manifests some pride and arrogance that drives you crazy. Maybe it's even your boss. The command is true for you in that circumstance as well. To melt that person with your love. To sacrifice and to give so that that person will know and get a taste of who Jesus Christ is. Or maybe it's, maybe, God forbid, it's the person in the fellowship of faith, your brother or sister, who just grates on you. Right? You're not supposed to chuckle at that. <laughs> He's thinking of me, I know it. Why are you doing that? Um, maybe it's that person, it's that person, it's that person who fits that mold. And God, God is doing something in the middle of that to grow you and to grow them, to put you in this place where you are going to have to dive deeper into the, the command of Christ to love across whatever barrier there is so that this person might know and you might experience more profoundly the love of Christ. And you might live out the command that Jesus has. Maybe it's in your very own family where you, you know, things aren't what you expected them to be and the relationship with your spouse is not what you expected it to be and there's pain and there's struggle there and you are being called to love across that barrier. Or maybe you're struggling with your children 
and, and there's frustration, and you've given and given and given, and, you're, and, and, it, and it, it hurts, and God's calling you to love, to still love, to obey the new command and to love across that barrier. The new command touches every environment where we find ourselves, where there are people. Neighbors are all around us. Now, I'm gonna, what I want to do, just to finish up, is, is to, to give you every excuse not to love. Okay? I want to address a couple of them. And then to walk out of here, hopefully having that clarified and knowing exactly where you can love. Are there any limitations on this love? When we, when we sort of encounter this, I think most of us feel like um, this love is overwhelming to us. We don't know how we could possibly love people in this way. How could we follow in Jesus' footsteps? I mean, are there any limitations? There has to be some kind of limitations on this, right? Otherwise, I'm going to walk out of here. I'm going to take everything I own. I'm going to give it to the first person I see and, and just tell them I'll be their indentured slave for the rest of my life, right? I mean, it, that would be just the loving thing to do immediately, um, to take this to its fullest extent, is to walk out of here and just give everything away. And, and so what are the limitations? How, this is where this love thing breaks down so often. Because we don't know how, we don't know how to put it together. What shape does it take for us in our limited ability to love people? So, so it's interesting when you look at the life of Jesus, because he was in earth, he was in bodily form, he had to make some hard decisions about who he'd love. And there are times when Jesus would leave a town and go to another town, and that town wasn't all fixed yet, right? Not everybody had been ministered to yet. And so Jesus made these decisions, and, 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 and we see him making these hard choices. And because of our limitations, we have to make those choices as well. So how do we do that? What are the limitations on this amazing love that Jesus teaches us to embrace? The first one, uh, and the cautions, and, and these aren't hard and fast rules, I don't think, but things to consider, is that if it enables destruction, and I think we're going to put this up, yeah, if it enables destruction of the other person, there are times when we're in a situation where we could sacrifice and give of our, our resources or our time or our talents, and, but by doing so, we will, we, will, we will enable some destruction to continue, whether that be destruction in that person's life and the classic example is, you know, uh, considering whether or not you want to give money to somebody who's obviously going to go buy drugs, they're going to harm themselves with it. Um, you know, that's the classic example that we talk about. But there are many more subtle examples of this. If we give of our time, our resources, or our skills, or talents in a situation where it's going to be used for destructive measures, either against us, or against the person, or against somebody else. So we consider that. The second one is, if our giving steals from others. So the classic example is, I could go out and give all my money away, but I have a family to feed, and so I have to consider that in my giving, right? Um, I have to ask myself, am I taking away from them without them being part of this process? Uh, and so that's an issue to consider. Now, I could, though, at the same time, I could lead my family on a journey of, self -sa of sacrifice, and we could say, we're not going to you know, take this particular vacation because we're going to use all of the funds to, to give to this particular thing. And we could go on a journey of self-sacrifice like that together. I remember listening to um, a man one time stand up at the retirement of his father, who was a pastor. And he said it in sort of a snarky, snide way, um, 
revealing that there was obviously a great amount of truth to it. He said to the whole congregation of people who are standing there, he said in a jokingly kind of way, he said, thanks for taking my dad away during my childhood. Right? So there's, there's some limitations here to, to, to what we give and to pull back and to, and to make sure that we're not stealing the resources from the, the very people that God has called us to minister to. So those are the hard questions that we have to ask in this. And then the third one is we need to be cautious if this giving, if the self-sacrifice is done in the flesh rather than in faith. If it's done in the flesh and not in faith. Oftentimes, and I catch myself doing this so, so much, I give of myself out of some sort of obligation or even in my worst moments, some form of manipulation. But I'm not giving of myself like Christ did on that cross, entrusting myself to God. I'm holding on to my giving, and I'm giving in the flesh, in a sense, not by the Spirit. And so sometimes we, we get caught in this cycle where we feel obligated and we give, and, and we don't get to that point where we entrust our future to, to God to take care of us. And so we're not really giving because we pull back because we get scared and fearful. We haven't done it by the Spirit. We haven't done it in faith. We've done it in the flesh. And that is to be, I think, a limit on our giving. We give what God empowers us to give in faith, entrusting that the future will be taken care of. Now, oftentimes I've found that I'll never get there in terms of trusting God until I actually start to give to somebody or something. And so there's that dynamic there that you, never, you learn in, in the process, and that's okay too. But we go in saying, you know, somehow, God, you're going you're gonna to take care of me in this, and so I give in faith. There will be a resurrection of some sort on the other side of this, just like there was a resurrection on the other side of the cross, because I can entrust myself to you. So as I think this through, those are some of the limitations. But other than that, what Christ calls us to is the sky is the limit in terms of giving. Our resources or our time, or our love, or just our graciousness towards somebody who doesn't seem to deserve it, or whatever it is, giving love in that way, sacrificing, risking for somebody else, the sky's the limit because God is waiting for us on the other side of our giving to uphold us and support us and strengthen us as we commit ourselves into His, into his hands. I read a book when I was in high school that I don't recommend at all, um, <laughs> It's, it's called Jonathan Livingston Siegel, and uh, some of you have read it. And um, this was the spiritual wasteland I was in at that time. Jonathan Livingston Siegel was like my favorite book. And um, it's a, it, it, don't read it, um, but it's kind of a self-help book. Um, but there was one thing about it that stuck with me and that I really, I still think about and I, I really find sort of amazing. Um, so Jonathan Livingston Seagull is a seagull, and he's on the beach, and they're all just fighting over scraps of food, and he sort of says, he picks his head, there's got to be something more to life than this, than fighting on the beach for scraps of food, right? And so he starts to fly, and he starts testing out flight, and so he goes higher and higher, 
and, 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 he, and, and, and like feathers start falling off of him because he's like diving. He's a seagull. He's not an eagle. He's a seagull. And he's diving down from these amazing heights and, you know, and the feathers are coming off. And he's like, I think I can go faster. And he's just, he's just striving to sort of reach the limit of what's possible for seagull flight. And that was the part of the book that I really thought was cool. And that's the part of the book I think about when I think about love and the command to love. Somehow we've been called into this opportunity to sort of test God in this. How much will you catch me as I give of myself to others in self-sacrifice and risk? God, how, how big are you to catch me, to raise me up, to support me? And as we, as we keep giving more and we, we see, we, we, we sort of reach higher heights of, of giving and sacrifice and love for others, we see that, oh, yeah, oh, you're that big to catch me. Let me, try, let me go a little bit higher. Let me dive a little bit deeper into your mercy and your strength and your support and your grace and into your hands. Let me dive a little deeper into your hands and risk a little more and give a little bit more to the people around me because that's what you've called me to do. And every time I do it, I know you more, I bless the people around me more, and I have this sense of who you really are. And I'm being transformed on the inside. That's what God is calling us to, is to love not out of obligation, but out of faith and trust that He will take care of us on the other side of the self-sacrifice and the risk that true love entails. That's what God is calling us to, to commit ourselves into His hands so that we can love the people around us. And I'm praying that on, as we've been talking, you've been thinking about people, whether it's a fellow student or a coworker, or a boss or somebody in your family, and you've been thinking, yeah, I could love that person more. And so, so the, 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 what you do is you don't leave here and say, I'm going to, in my flesh, love that person more. You leave here and you say, Lord, if I risk, will you catch me? I'm going to step out in faith, and I'm going to love this person. And I'm going to do it because I trust you. That I can commit myself into your hands, and your hands are strong and powerful, and you will catch me. Jesus did that. And that's what we celebrate as we come to the table this morning. Jesus committed himself into the Father's hands. And the Father's hands were trustworthy and true. And they received Christ. And he was raised from the dead. A powerful statement that God is faithful to us in our suffering and our sacrifice and our loss. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and we had given thanks. He broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This table is a reminder of Christ's world-defining love. And so when you come to it this morning, Come to it remembering the depth of Christ's love. Are you the woman at the well where you've sinned too many times 
and you feel like it's all over, Jesus welcomes you. Are you the leper? You feel like there's something about you that is just untouchable? Jesus loves you. Are you the man on the side of the road who's been beaten and lost everything? Christ provides provision for you. And as you leave this table, would you prayerfully consider the people in your life, your life to whom God has called you that you might love them, that you might live out the great commandment before them and, and for them and through them and as Christ empowers you? And would you pray today? We're going to have people on the sides to pray with you if you'd like to stop and just pray for somebody. Ask for help. Lord, help me to love so-and-so. Or you can even say anonymously who that is. Um, Lord, help me to love so-and-so. Or you can pray for anything else that's going on in your life that you need prayer for. Uh, The Holy Spirit is with us when we're gathered as the community, and it's a time for you to receive prayer and to see God work in your life. So as you go out, think about that person that you're going to love this week. And if you want to ask for prayer, then stop and ask for prayer. And if you want to ask for prayer for anything else, that's great. This table is open to all who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. We ask that if you have broken relationship that you can repair before coming to the table, that you would do that. Or resolve in yourself to do that at the earliest possible time. That you might honor the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and not take it for granted. Um, If you're somebody who's just come to faith, um, today even, you decided to place your trust in that Jesus who went to the cross for you, this is a great way for you to begin your journey with Christ, coming to the table and receiving communion and remembering the cross. Lord Jesus, we commend this time to you. We know, Holy Spirit, that you're at work in our midst. Would you move, please? Help awaken in us a desire for prayer. Awaken in us a sense of our need. Awaken in us um, a, a vision for how we might love as Christ loved in the coming week. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And would you please, family of God, come to the table when you're ready.